What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 239 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. Uh, Really happy to be back with you folks this week. I also should say that uh, you can read some of my written content at Musket Fire, um, the fan-sided site. I will be uh, putting out an article uh, this week, so you can uh, be on the lookout for that. I uh, will give you guys a little bit of a teaser that it does have uh, something to do with the Patriots' off-season um, acquisitions. So uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll be out later this week at some point. And um, I would like to say thanks to Eric Bellier coming back on uh, Guest Friday last week. You know, I chuckle this because it's you know almost a it's almost like our quarterly meeting, uh, as as Eric says. So. Uh, it was great to have him back last week, uh, talking baseball, uh, previewing you know the season, and you know really looking forward to what the season you know what's in store for the season. So you can go listen to Guest Friday if you have not already. Uh, this week on Guest Friday, we've finally got the scheduling right. Uh, ben Baptiste will be back on the program this week, or will be back on uh, Guest Friday, I should say. Uh, we are going to uh, kind of give an off-season update um, on the team as, you know, we're kind of almost the halfway or about the halfway point, I would say, uh, between free agency and the draft. So, you know, we'll get into what the Patriots have done already, what else could they possibly do, and then we'll probably look ahead to the draft as well, which is coming up at the end of the month. So looking forward to that this week. So we're going to get right into it. Start with the Red Sox. <laughs> Season opening uh, series for the Red Sox against the Orioles uh, did not get off to the best start um, on Thursday afternoon with the Red Sox. Uh, not getting great pitching from Corey Kluber um, in the opener. Didn't get great pitching from Chris Sale either um, on Saturday, unfortunately. So, you know, I think not the best start in terms of the starting pitching in those first two games, you know, but I do think in a good way, those, you know, starts were overshadowed by how good the offense looked. Um, And I think that that is kind of the main takeaway from this weekend Um, and the series opening win, you know, the Red Sox, it took them quite a while last season uh, to win a series against an American League East opponent. Um, But I think offense the offense really is kind of the main takeaway uh, with this season opening win, you know, two out of three and nine runs in the first three games. I think it just goes to show you that I think that offensively they're going to be just fine. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that this is a team that you need to be concerned about, you know, where the runs are going to come from, where the home runs going to come from. You know, and I know it's the first series of the year. Not saying that Adam Duvall is going to have, you know, he's going to hit 571 every single series. But I think getting him off to a good start is really important. You know, I think Verdugo had a good series as well. You know, Yoshida, I think, was pretty solid. Uh, Turner was good as well. You know, Devers was good too. Kike Hernandez, obviously. So... 
this is not a, I think, you know, and maybe this is going to sound crazy, but I think a lot of people kind of like overestimated how much they lost in the off season that of course, JD Martinez, you know, has been, a, had been a great free agent addition had been, you know, one of their better free agent signings in a very long time. Um, and just how good he was, how good of a hitter he was in Bogarts, you know, but you know, this is a team that I think made some tweaks, or not tweaks, made some additions in the offseason, you know, bringing in Duvall, bringing in Yoshida, bringing in Turner, that it's like, I don't think that offensively they're really going to be missing much with the two guys that left, you know. I think more of where it might be an issue, not an issue, but it's just being a change is kind of in the locker room. And I think the Red Sox, I think, really made a concerted effort to bring in guys that were good locker room guys, you know, and guys who were going to bring that positivity in. You know, you hope that it translates, which it kind of did. But, you know, I think it's the, the main takeaway this weekend was how good the offense was. And you're never out of a game. They never were. You know, you look at the first two games, you know, eight to two, they were down at one point on Thursday. They come back to make it 10 to nine, you know, unfortunately lose. But, you know, it's not a team that's going to, you know, not a team that's going to go down quietly. And you saw that on Saturday as well. You know, a team falling behind seven to one after, you know, Chris Sale had a really, really tough outing. Um, you know, unfortunately, it came in his first start, but, you know, Seven to one at one point, this offense didn't even blink. You know, if they make it close, a couple guys hit some big home runs, get some big hits, you know, and then, of course, the Red Sox do catch a bit of a break in the ninth inning with Yoshida's fly ball being dropped and then Duvall hitting the walk-off home run. But, you know, I think that that's the great thing about this team so far that, you know, the first two games, they were not a team that went quietly. You know, they were a team that were going to fight and fight and fight. And I think that's going to make this team enjoyable to watch this season. That talent-wise, maybe they're not the best team in the American League East. Maybe they don't make the playoffs, but they're going to make... I think they're going to make it entertaining to watch this team um, when you look at the guys offensively that they can rattle off. So I think very pleased with that. I think, you know, the starting pitching... Clearly not the best way to start the season, I think particularly with Kluber and Sale, but I honestly thought that Tanner Houck pitched pitched all right yesterday, you know, gave up a couple home runs, um, but was pretty solid for five innings, you know, and I was, I was thinking, you know, at the top of the game watching it yesterday that, you know, they really needed him to go deep into the game yesterday because, you know, you had two starters that, you know, didn't even, couldn't even pitch four innings in those first two games. And it's like the last thing you wanted is this bullpen to be overtaxed in the first game, the first series of the year. But, you know, I think Howick was able to get through five, um, did a solid enough job. I think the bullpen definitely had some issues, especially in the first game. You know, Blyer came in yesterday, gave up a couple runs. But I think, you know, Schreiber has picked up right where he left off last season. Winkowski has pitched some innings out of the bullpen, really, really like him. Um, and then Jansen obviously pitched on Saturday, uh, gave up a hit and a walk, but got out of 
the ninth inning, you know, setting up the walk-off. So, you know, I think for me personally, um, and I'm sure I'm not the only person that, you know, thought thought this or, you know, said this out loud watching the game on Thursday, but uh, it's a shock to me that Ryan Brazer is uh, still on this team. You know, it's uh, frustrating because, you know, he's not someone that, really showed any consistency last year. And it's just, I felt like I thought that they were overhauling the entire bullpen. You know, he was not a name that I thought was going to stick around. Um, But who knows, it could have something to do with injuries. You know, the Red Sox do have a couple of pitchers that are on the injured list at the moment that aren't with the big club. So it could be that he gets squeezed out once those guys come back. But it's like, you think about Bayo, you think about Whitlock, who are probably going to join the rotation at some point soon. They think that they will make some rehab starts this week. You know, you also got James Paxton as well, um, Joely Rodriguez, who also got hurt in spring training. So, you know, those are four guys right there that I think have a legitimate chance that they are up with the big club um, soon. So, you know, may squeeze out Razor, may squeeze out. Uh, Caleb Ort, who also had issues in that opening day uh, game as well. So, you know, I think you would hope that those two guys are not on the roster for too much longer. I think just because, you know, and it's it's hard because they think that, yes, they both pitched poorly in the opening game, but it's like Brazier's a guy that just had no consistency last year. And, you know, Ort has had issues um, when he's pitched with the Red Sox this year and last year. So I'm not really sure what to make of either one of them, but I think just the 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 good start, I think, is huge for this team. And I think, you know, we highlighted this a couple of times during spring training that, you know, this is a team that you really wanted them to get off to a good start. And no, has, has, it, has it been perfect? No, you know, it's been a little bit uneven, but the offense, I think, how good the offense is, I think that that's here to stay. I'm not going to say that they're going to average nine runs a game. That's not going to happen. But I think that in terms of what they can do offensively, there shouldn't be too much of a concern of that much of a drop-off because this was a team that scored a lot of runs last year. Um, and I don't really think that they've missed too much of a beat. Um, so... You know, I just think from a mental standpoint, it's you know, huge that they could win a division series or a series against the division because it took them so long to win one last year. So it's just good to see. And I think, you know, good to see this team winning a series to start the season, you know, winning the second game the way that they did um, and then being able to, you know, put some more runs across yesterday. So. Uh, the Red Sox will host the Pirates three-game series starting tonight. Uh, Cutter Crawford will make his season debut uh, pitching against the Pirates. So, you know, I was fairly happy with him in spring training. Be curious to see how he does tonight. Nick Pavetta will go tomorrow night. And then Corey Kluber will pitch Wednesday afternoon. And then the Red Sox will have a three-game set in Detroit later this week, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. So... It'd be interesting to see how the Red Sox do um, on the road in their first road series. And then 
next week, a four-game set in Tampa Bay. So big uh, kind of, uh, you know, big kind of statement series opportunity for this team. Um, but I think, again, easing into the schedule with some teams that might not be very good, you know, I think is huge for this team. So you hope that the offense continues to hit um, and the Red Sox can win another series, you know, continue to build on the positive momentum from the Orioles series. So I think it's probably going to do it for the Red Sox. We'll obviously have more games to talk about next week. So looking forward to that. So I think we'll move on and talk a little bit about the uh, Boston Bruins, who uh, just continue to uh, set records. It's uh, pretty unbelievable. You look at this team and all the positive things that they've done this year. Um, a good win uh, Thursday night to set the team record for wins in a season with their 58th winning, 58th win, winning an overtime game against the Blue Jackets, coming after they had lost to the Predators two to one the game before. So, you know, I think that those two particular games, not against the best opponents, obviously, but I think playing in some of these close games, you know, one goal games, is really important for them come playoff time. Um, and I think even you include the weekend games as well, um, that I think, you know, playing these close games, playing these tight-checking, low-scoring games, I think is really good for their, you know, way to kind of get acclimated to what playoff hockey is going to look like. No, they're not going to be playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in the playoffs. The Blue Jackets are, you know, setting up for being one of the teams that, you know, wins the trap lottery. So, you know, they wouldn't be playing a team like that. But I just think anyway, you know, you're going to be playing teams that are coming in to beat you, you know, teams that are coming in playing desperate and knowing that the Bruins are the best team in the league. We are going to, you know, get up and try to beat this team. So I think for this team to play, you know, tight checking, low scoring games is huge because you're going to see a lot of these games in the playoffs. You know, that's why I think that win against Tampa Bay last weekend was huge. Um, you know, that they could play a game against a very good team that they very well, like, they very well likely could play um, in the second round or later in the playoffs. Carolina probably would be that team. But I think just having experience of playing low-scoring games, you know, Obviously, hockey is a sport where you're going to play a lot of, you know, closer games than you would say, like in basketball, you know, so it's not like the Bruins are blowing out teams every single game. You know, hockey doesn't necessarily work like that. So, you know, but I just think it's good that they're having experience in these close games, you know, not necessarily winning. You know, it's great when you do win and it does help your confidence, but I think just getting acclimated to, okay, this is how playoff hockey might look, you know, and I think the Bruins game in Pittsburgh on Saturday definitely was kind of a playoff atmosphere and just, you know, the way that it was kind of a roller coaster of a game where it was, 
you know, back and forth. You felt comfortable. You know, Pittsburgh tied it. Pasternak, you know, scores the winning goal, gets the hat trick. You know, Bruins hold on in the last minute. So I think that was definitely a game that you could feel good about. Um, and then the shootout win yesterday, you know, I think obviously a game without some of the key guys. You know, I think we are getting to that point in the season where guys are resting. You know, Bergeron was held out of both of these games this weekend, which is fine. You know, the Bruins are have clinched the President's Trophy, have clinched the number one seed, so no real reason for him to play. You know, a back-to-back, so I think the Bruins, you know, taking it slowly, you know, I think makes sense. Krejci and McAvoy missed the game yesterday, you know, I think also probably resting some, you know, bumps and bruises. So, yeah, I do think that guys are going to get games off. I wouldn't be surprised um, if Marshan gets a game off or two this week. Uh, Pasternak, I think, most certainly will rest at some point. It may very well be the last game of the season um, because, you know, he is on the younger side and he does love to play. You know, I think it's more kind of for the older guys who, you know, are going to need rest. You know, whether they're rehabbing injuries or, you know, just resting for a game. But, you know, obviously it's a luxury that the Bruins have that so far ahead in the standings that they can afford to give guys games off. And it's not like, you know, they're battling for the playoff lives. Um, but I do think playing in some of these close, you know, one goal games are really important for them so they can just get a taste of okay, you know, they're going to be crazy playoff games where you're going to have to come up with a play late. You know, obviously the shootout is not going to be a thing in the playoffs, so, you know, you don't need to be concerned about that, but it was good to see uh, Charlie Coyle getting the only goal in the shootout. Bruins beat the Blues 4-3 uh, to three in the shootout yesterday. You know, I think uh game was a little bit closer than it perhaps should have been you know, Bruins building a 3 nothing lead, and then Jordan Cairo uh, tied the game in the last 30 seconds. So, you know, not necessarily the best thing that you want to see. You know, you don't want to be blowing three goal leads in playoff games, but, you know, I think it was a good, you know, good opportunity and good tests. And I think, you know, all these games the rest of the season are going to be interesting. Uh, Bruins are off until Thursday. They play the Maple Leafs, and then, yeah, believe it or not, they have another uh, weekend back-to-back home against the Devils and then on the road against Philly. So, you know, I was thinking about this earlier that I think one of these games before the end of the season, the Bruins are going to treat as kind of a playoff dress rehearsal. Um, And so I'm kind of curious what game would that be. Um, you know, would it be the, you know, second to last game of the season or would it be, you know, a quality opponent, which the Bruins do have a quality opponent coming into the garden Thursday with Toronto, you know, very real possibility that that's a second round opponent. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, if the Bruins do do like a playoff dress rehearsal, you know, and have all the guys playing that they think are going to play. You know, obviously it's complicated with, you know, three of your lineup regulars in Hall, Felino and Forward that aren't healthy yet, you know. So 
it wouldn't exactly be a perfect playoff preview, but I think, you know, just approaching one of these games to be like, okay, this is what one of the playoff games are going to be like, you know, whether it's against Toronto or whether it's against New Jersey that the Bruins play on Saturday. So it'll be a good opportunity. Um, also think that, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that the seventh player award uh, will be coming up and will be awarded to uh, a Bruins player at some point before the end of the regular season. Uh, there are definitely plenty of guys that I think could be in play for that. Uh, my prediction would be Trent Frederick. I think that he's a guy that the Bruins have gotten the most out of this year. Um, and it was great to see him get a chance at third line center uh, yesterday, got a couple of assists. And I think, you know, some of those lines yesterday was interesting. And I think someone had written about it in the paper this morning that, you know, it could be kind of a peek into the future of what the Bruins lines look like, you know, next year, two years from now. And I think thinking that Frederick could be a legitimate third line center for you, you know, is, is great because I think, you know, a year ago, we didn't really know what he was as a player. And I think the Bruins have been able to get the most out of him. They've been able to simplify his game. Um, and he's been such a great fit, you know, playing with Charlie Coyle or, you know, playing with Bertuzzi, playing with Zaka, whoever he's playing with, you know, he's been really good. So I think in my opinion, he probably would be a candidate for seventh player, uh, which is the award to the Bruin that, um, I think it's like exceeds expectations um, is kind of like the main thing. Pavel Zaka, though, I think could also be someone that could win that as well, um, as he has destroyed his career high um, in points. You know, his previous career high with the Devils um, in a season was 36 points, which he set last season. He's got 53 points to this point this season, you know, has almost equaled his point total in assists. 36 points for the Devils last year which was a career high. He has 35 assists this season. And I think he was a guy that was able to play uh, first-line minutes on Saturday and then played second-line minutes yesterday. Um, and I think he is legitimately kind of that next, you know, number one, number two center, whatever it is, that I think he's kind of their center of the future. And I think he's just been excellent this season, really almost no negatives about his game. And I think that, yes, maybe there were some concerns earlier in the season when he wasn't scoring as many goals, but he's got 18 this season and, you know, probably gets to 20. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But I think he's definitely another candidate for uh, the seventh player award as, you know, a player that kind of goes above and beyond expectations. Uh, because I think, you know, when Zaka came here, kind of didn't know what he was going to be, but you know, he's been great. You know, he's been a guy that, like I said, you know, at the beginning of the season, we were so convinced that, you know, the second line was going to be Hall, Krejci, and Pasternak, you know, and Zaka was going to play third line minutes with Charlie Coyle. And, you know, <laughs> Zaka's been one of their best, most consistent players this season. And he's taken that second line role. And I think, you know, seeing him play on that top line on, Saturday, you know, really gave you a thought that, okay, you know, if Bergeron decides to hang it up, if Krejci decides to hang it up, you know, you can feel comfortable that Zaka can be that 
you know, number one guy that can be your number one center for the next years to come. So really happy to see, you know, him doing so well. And, you know, you look at some of these guys in the roster, you know, Pasternak obviously has been unbelievable, you know, career, career year for him approaching 60 goals. Be very interesting to see if he gets six gets to sixty this season with five games to go. But I think just such a great, you know, just a relief that he is, you know, signed long term that he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. That you have a pretty good core of guys, you know, Pasternak, Lindholm, McAvoy, Zaka. Now, you know, Frederick assumes, assuming you know it's Frederick assuming. You know, the Bruins can get Bertuzzi to a long-term deal. It'll be kind of interesting uh, to see this offseason. But I think uh, it's been nice to see Jacob Lauko getting into some games. You know, I think that he will definitely be called upon to play some uh, playoff games. Um, and I do think it'll, it will be interesting once the Bruins do get the injured guys back healthy. Um, and I think... You know, it kind of helps in a way that, you know, I don't like to say this because I think Derek Forbert has been a really important player for the Bruins this season. You know, it's kind of the injury has kind of been a blessing in disguise that I think the Bruins can figure out, you know, with the six guys, you know, which combination is going to work best for the playoffs. You know, I think unfortunately Forbert might be that odd man out. Um, once the playoffs start, but I do think that you could see him playing in some playoff games. I'm just, you know, curious to see what, you know, that defense core looks like if the Bruins do think that they can play Grizzly and McAvoy together, Lindholm and Carlo, and then what's that third pair if it's, you know, Clifton and Orlov. Does Orlov play first pair? That's going to kind of be interesting to see. I do think that it's going to be... Um, opponent-based, you know, that I think if the Bruins line up to play, say the New York Islanders, I don't think that Matt Grislyk's going to play top pair minutes, but I think if they played a team like Pittsburgh or Florida, you know, Grislyk probably plays with McAvoy, and then, you know, with the Islanders, they're going to try to be physical with you, and I think the Bruins want to be able to kind of dish that back, and then with the forwards, you know, kind of be curious to see once Hall and Felino get back, you know, once Hall gets back, I think it's kind of assumed that he will slide in with Coyle and Bertuzzi, which likely will knock Frederick down in the lineup to the fourth line, because I do think that, or, or no, Felino, that's what I was going to say next, that I think Felino's injury might be a little bit more serious, so perhaps maybe he's not ready for that first game, maybe Hall is, you know, Frederick can still be in there, and then once Felino's back, you know, Frederick kind of becomes one of the extras with, you know, Greer and Lauko, assuming you know, that's what happens. So I think I'm curious to see in the last games of the season if the Bruins bring in, you know, any guys uh, from Providence. They did actually bring in someone up this weekend, Oscar Steen, uh, who played yesterday's game and scored a goal. So it was nice to see for him. So... I think probably going to do it for the Bruins, you know, and we're back with you folks next week. You know, Bruins will have 
Uh, two games left. So here are the final five games Bruins have this season. Thursday night at the Garden against Toronto. Um, Saturday night at the Garden against the Devils. Sunday on the road in Philly. And then next Tuesday at home against Washington. And then next Thursday on the road in Montreal. And that is the end of the season, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy that it's uh, come up that quickly. But again, Bruins... You know, team record for wins, number one seed uh, throughout the playoffs, President's Trophy. So, you know, Bruins are kind of just going to be building their game uh, between now and then. One note I did want to add is the Bruins have scored three power play goals in their last two games. So hope that the power play has started to improve a little bit. Tyler Bertuzzi got a power play goal yesterday, and then the Bruins scored two in Pittsburgh on Saturday. So hopefully that's a sign of things to come because I think that's the one area the Bruins still need to, you know, fine-tune, make sure it's at the best it can be. Uh, because if they they start scoring power play goals at high clip, they're going to be uh, very, very difficult to beat if they're not already difficult to beat with their 60th win uh, yesterday against the Blues. So looking forward to the last couple games of the season and I think we're going to move on. Going to talk about the Celtics, who had a uh, kind of a weird week. You know, did not did not start off in the best way with the uh, blowout loss to Washington. You know, on Tuesday night, but the Celtics uh, responded and responded with probably their best effort of the season. Um, in absolutely dismantling the Milwaukee Bucks Thursday night, 140 to 99. I mean, when you watch that team play on Thursday night, that is the team that was the number one seed for the majority of this season. Maybe they don't end up being the number one seed in the East, but I think that for me, that put away any sort of doubt that you have about the Celtics being you know, not being able to win a road game seven, you know, and I know that that sounds crazy because they won a road game seven last year, but, you know, if there was any concern about, oh, you know, home court, home court matters, well, you know, the Celtics beat the Bucks two out of three this year and, you know, destroyed them on their home floor. Now, if they meet in the playoffs, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a playoff game with a 41 point margin, but I think, as I said last week, I almost think that, you know, getting the number one seed doesn't really matter. You know, and the fact that they were able to destroy the Bucks the way that they did, it's like, I'm not even sure the number one seed necessarily matters, um, you know, against a Bucks team that you've looked good against in all three games. I know that they lost one of them, but you look at that game, Celtics lost that game in overtime without Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. So it's like, you don't really feel nervous about playing that team. And, you know, I know you played them at home earlier in the season. I think it was on Christmas, but you destroyed them as well. So I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't be afraid of the Bucks, but I do think that the talk about the number one seed is a little bit overblown, that I think it may not matter, you know, as much. Um, but that was a great win. You know, great to see Jason Tatum go off, you know, he was outstanding um, in Friday night's game against Utah as well, so 
you hope that he started to figure it out. You know, he was made, they made five threes on Friday. And then if I look at the uh, box score for Thursday night's game, he hit eight three-pointers. So, you know, you hope that Jason is kind of rediscovering the shooting stroke after kind of being in the slump since the All-Star break um, in terms of shooting threes. So great to see him be kind of that alpha dog in the last two games. You know, Jalen Brown was also outstanding in, in the Milwaukee game. Um, but I think this is a team that has started to, you know, figure it out offensively. You know, I know that the Wizards game was not a great game to watch, but I think you look at the point totals they've been able to put up uh, since that one-point loss in Utah, you know, 132, 120, 137, 111, 140, 122. And I think, you know, getting back to being an elite offensive team, you know, being able to put up 120 or the ability to put up 120 in every single game is going to make you so dangerous um, in the playoffs. And I do know that, yes, you know, the game slows down in the playoffs. You know, games are a little bit more low scoring. And I think that, yes, there might be some concerns. Can the Celtics win, you know, grinded out low scoring games if the three-point shot isn't falling? You know, so I think that's always a concern. But I think the way that they've, you know, figured it out recently and played great offensive basketball, you know, Tatum knocking down threes, Tatum getting to the free throw line. You know, I think he had 10 attempts in, or in yeah, 10 attempts at the free throw line in the Milwaukee game and then was had 11 attempts against the Jazz on Friday. So I think for him, it's making those threes with consistency, getting to the free throw line, getting to the free throw line, double digits, or having double digit attempts, you know, is really huge. And I think, you know, Jalen playing great basketball as he's played all season long. And I think you know, you're starting to see some of the bench guys really, you know, figure out their role. You know, Blake Griffin was outstanding in his start on Friday. I think Rob Williams is starting to get back into the swing of things. You know, Al Horford, really not a guy that you really have to be concerned about. And, you know, Derek White, who's been one of the Celtics' best players this entire season, you know, and you can bring him off the bench or you can start him. You know, the Celtics really have a lot of options, and I think, you know, Grant Williams' game has started to improve. He's started to simplify his games, or simplify his game, not trying to do too much. You know, I think that everyone is kind of sliding into their role, you know, in a good way, and I think that that's exactly what you want to see with four games left in the regular season. You know, this team has, you know, had some issues earlier in March, but, you know, it's a team that, if you look back to that Houston loss that they had March 13th, since then, you know, the Celtics have won seven out of nine, you know, really started to figure things out, and I think, you know, seven out of nine, and then five out of six, so playing well at the perfect time, and, you know, playing well at a time that I'm pretty sure that you know, they're going to lock in the number two seed. Be curious to see how they do against Philadelphia tomorrow night in Philly. You know, that may have something to do with the seeding, but I think this is a Celtics team that I think with three, with four games left, three of them at home, 
you should be able to lock up the number two seed, and maybe there's an outside chance you could tie the Bucks. Um, although the Bucks did beat the Sixers last night, so they have a two-game lead in the conference with four games to play. So it's kind of an outside shot for the number one seed for the Celtics, but you know who knows. Um, but I think just for this team, it's continuing to play solid offensive basketball, knocking down the threes, getting to the free throw line, being aggressive. Um, and playing really good defense. That was the one thing I was very impressed with Thursday night against the Bucs, is not only did the Celtics you know, put up 140 points with Tatum scoring 40 and Jalen scoring 30 and being you know, that elite offensive team that we know them to be, but holding the Bucs to 99 points you know, and being really hard to go at defensively in the paint. And I think... If you're going to play that way defensively, consistently, you're going to be a very hard team to beat. Um, and I think for this team, obviously, yes, we know how good they can be offensively. But, you know, when they're when they're buying in and they're playing defense the way that they should, you know, it's it's not a it's not a, it's not an area you want to go into against this team that you really don't want to be going in going going into the paint. You know, with Al Horford, Rob Williams, and, you know, Blake Griffin <laughs> trying to take charges every single time. You know, it was just, uh, he's just been such a great addition to this team. And I think not playing a lot of minutes is fine, you know, and I think that he accepts that. And I think it's just, it's just as wonderful to see that he doesn't play a lot of minutes, but plays so hard. You know, and as a guy that I think really rubs off on the entire team, whether it's the guys on the bench, you know, the guys in the game when he's play, when he's playing. So it's been really great to see, you know, his addition to the team and his, you know, ability to just get guys going, get guys motivated. So, you know, I think, you know, figuring out kind of what the, I guess rotation is going to be. I think just looking at the that Bucks game, you know, looking at the guys who played, you know, big minutes off the bench, you know, Grant Williams, Rob Williams, Brogdon, you know, I think that thinking about Rob Williams, you know, is is hard because I think you know how good he can be in the starting lineup, but I think the Celtics bringing him off the bench, you know, to start the playoffs, I think could be really really beneficial that he can kind of give you a more of an added boost from the bench. Um, you know, that Horford can be that guy who starts, but you can start Derek White as well. You know, you can bring in Rob Williams, you know, Brogdon, Grant Williams off the bench, and you can, you know, not really miss a beat. So I'm going to be curious with the last four games of the season, how does Joe Missoula, you know, manage that? Does he keep Rob Williams, you know, coming off the bench? You know, what does the starting line, because the starting line at recently, you know, has looked like smart, white, the two J's and Horford. And so, you know, I think, again, having Rob come off the bench is such an added boost. And I think that, you know, kind of having him in a backup big role, you know, kind of would lim not limit his minutes, but that he doesn't have to be playing major minutes. And I think, you know, anyway, the Celtics don't typically 
have him on the floor late in games, you know, for matchup reasons. So, you know, I'm curious to see about that. Um, you know, but I think pretty much they're set in terms of the three or four guys that they're bringing off the bench. You know, Brogdon obviously is that first guy. You know, Rob Williams, Grant Williams. You know, and then what does it look like from there? Is it Cornette? Is it Muscala? You know, is it Peyton Pritchard? You know, just... Or Sam Hauser, even. You know, or even Gallinari. You know, if he's healthy enough to play. You know, I think it's kind of a, in my opinion, kind of a 50-50 thing um, if he returns before the end of the season. Uh, like, like the end of the playoffs. You know, if he plays in a playoff game or two. You know, but it's been nice to see him around uh, the team. You know, wearing those... <laughs> wearing those great suits. So uh, looking forward to the Celtics' last games. You know, it's kind of crazy. We are going to be at the end of the regular season in a week. Uh, so the Celtics' week is kind of busy, but I think don't be surprised if they give some guys games off down the stretch. So the Celtics are in Philly tomorrow night and then have a back-to-back -back Wednesday. They're home against Toronto, and then Friday they're home against Toronto again. So kind of a bit of a home stretch against Toronto. Um, and then the season, season regular season finale is at home against the Hawks at 1 o'clock. Uh, we're going to take a look at the playoff standings uh, later, and I'll talk a little bit about uh, potential Celtics playoff opponents, uh, with the Celtics being pretty much, I would say, locked into that number two seed, which means that they will play the winner of the 7-8 play-in game. So we'll take a look and see who those teams are might possibly be. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. We're going to move on to uh, talking a bit about the Patriots. Um, not a whole lot of, you know, news here um, in terms of free agent uh, additions. Trying to take a look at some of the latest news. Um, you know, I think the Patriots obviously had representatives with... Um, or, excuse me, had representatives at uh, Pro Days. So they were at BC's Pro Day, uh, LSU's the other day. Oh, man, there was, I think it was TCU, I want to say. And Belichick met or could, was seen talking to uh, Kendra Miller, who was one of their running backs this past year. So I don't think there really has been any news. You know, I think that it was already reported that Jalen Mills was going to return back to the Patriots on a one-year deal, but could possibly be uh, shifted back to safety, which is a spot that he played with Philadelphia the last two seasons. Though with the Patriots, he had played a corner and, you know, I thought had done pretty well, but I think with McCourty, you know, retiring the Patriots, you know, did have a bit of a hole there. So I think, you know, could very easily shift uh, Jalen back to kind of being a safety. So, you know, there's really no news. You know, obviously there was the, you know, owners meetings in uh, in Arizona last week, and you know, Bill Belichick as as he ever does with, you know, some some quotes that I think didn't exactly make some people happy. You know, other people thought it was funny. You know, I think it was definitely I was in the the funny crowd. Uh, you know, with the last 25 years comment, which, 
you know, I think unfortunately rubbed some people the wrong way. Um, but, you know, I think this is not a team I'm very concerned about in the long run. And I know that maybe that's unpopular, but I think I really, really liked what they did in free agency. Um, I don't think that it's, you know, it really wasn't anything flashy, but I think it's like you look at the areas that they've tried to improve, and I think they're in a good spot, you know, as they shift more towards the draft. You know, who knows? They could make some more additions. You know, it might be via trade. I wouldn't be sur I wouldn't be surprised if they're kind of done doing free agent moves, but, you know, who knows? There could be someone like an Odell Beckham that they could sign. You know, I could see that happening, but I think, you know, probably most of their focus has shifted toward the draft. You know, I know that Kraft was, you know, saying, saying a couple interesting things about Lamar Jackson and a, you know, certain rapper that texted him. So I don't know. I don't really know what to make of that comment. You know, it could have just been that, you know, Kraft just put his foot in his mouth and just kind of... <laughs> I don't know, just said something kind of wild and crazy. But, you know, I think in terms of Lamar Jackson, and I feel like, you know, I've talked about this plenty on this podcast that I just think you have a quarterback on the on a rookie deal, on such a cheap deal. And I think maybe this is unpopular, but I think that the Patriots don't know for sure what Mac Jones is yet. You know, and I think that they want to see him with a you know quality offensive coordinator you know what he can do with some pieces around him you know before they really make a decision long term about the quarterback position and yes i know that lamar jackson is a league mvp you know is a guy that is one of few quarterbacks in the league that when things break down he can make plays and you know turn something out of nothing but you know i think there are some valid concerns about him, the way that he plays, you know, <laughs> negotiation tactics, I guess you could say. But, you know, I think really it comes down to price with this team. And I think, you know, surrendering first round picks to get him, you know, giving him the amount of guaranteed money that he wants, you know, would absolutely destroy your cap space. And I think for the people that are clamoring right now, about the number one wide receiver thing, which, you know, I've said my piece about plenty of time, you know, my answer to those people is, well, if you want Lamar Jackson, you know, you're not going to be able to trade for a big time number one receiver like Hopkins. You're not going to be able to do that, you know, with all the money that you're going to have to give Lamar Jackson. And not to mention the guys that you may have to cut off your roster you know, I think I saw somewhere that if the Patriots wanted to bring in Lamar, they would have to cut guys like Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, Trent Brown. You know, they'd have to get rid of some guys who are, you know, starters. And it's like, do you really want to, you know, weaken your roster just to bring in a star quarterback? Because it's just like, you bring in him with the amount of money that he wants, which is $240 million guaranteed, I don't think you're really going to have a lot of space to be able to bring in other guys. That it's pretty much, it's Lamar Jackson, and that's pretty much it. You know, so 
I just think in terms of the money, it's not worth it. But I will say, you know, and someone brought this up, I think, on a podcast I was listening to, that if the Patriots bring in Bill O'Brien, bring in all these guys that they've brought in this offseason, and it doesn't work with Mac Jones this year, you know, and he struggles and plays similarly to the way that he played last year, you know, I think if things shake out that way and Lamar Jackson ends up, you know, playing on the franchise tag with the Ravens or he just sits out an entire year and he becomes available next year, then I think I would be open to bringing that bringing that player in. But I think still there's a valid concern with the amount of money that he wants. And I think just me personally... Lamar's a great player, but I don't think that he's necessarily worth all that money. Because it's like, he won that MVP in 2019. I think teams are starting to figure him out a little bit. You know, he's had some injuries over the last two years. You know, and whatever you want to say about last year, about whether he was really hurt or not, well, it's like, if he wasn't hurt, that's pretty concerning if he was you know, sitting out of games, you know, whatever happened. Um, but I do think that, yes, there are valid concerns about him as a player. And I think, you know, I don't know about him fitting in with Bill O'Brien's offense. Because Bill O'Brien has never had a quarterback like that. Deshaun Watson was similar to Lamar Jackson, but not quite as much of a run-heavy player. So, you know, I think that there are concerns about bringing him onto this team. And I think just right now, in terms of the money, I would stay away from it. So, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on the situation. But I think I'm curious about what this team is going to look for in the draft. You know, I think clearly still have some needs. Tackle, cornerback, you know, could look at wide receiver. Um, but I think kind of getting more in-depth to this team, kind of wanted to leave more to to guest Friday later this week, you know, when I chat with Ben, but I do think that, you know, first round kind of their, their thought process probably would be tackle, would, would be my guess, you know, and if guys get picked, they've got some guys they want get picked, you know, they could trade back, you know, I think wide receiver, I know it's such a popular polarizing position with his team, but I just... I can't see them doing it in the first round. I could see them doing it on day two or day three. You know, there are some guys that I could see them targeting on day two or day three. Um, A.T. Perry is a wide receiver from uh, Wake Forest, who I really liked watching him this past year um, in college football. He's a guy that I think the Patriots could pick on day two or day three, and he could be just as much of an impact as a you know first-round wide receiver. You know, cornerback is also another spot the Patriots will be looking at as they kind of need a, you know, top kind of one-on-one guy, you know, good coverage skills and, you know, be someone that they can develop into kind of a number one corner. So, you know, I think tackle, cornerback, wide receiver, probably going to be the most likely positions the Patriots pick at. But I think, you know, tight end they could look at. Safety, they could certainly look at, but I think, you know, we'll go more in depth uh, on Guest Friday. So looking forward to that later this week. So I think we're going to move on uh, from the Patriots. We're going to go to 
the Revolution, who uh, had a little bit of a frustrating game uh, against NYCFC this past weekend. The Reds did tie, gave up a late goal, did have a goal disallowed, which was really frustrating, um, and had some missed chances as well, but the Reds did get a point with the win, or with the tie. Uh, Carlos Hill scoring his uh, first goal of the season. Revs led in the tying goal and then had a goal that was weirdly disallowed. I'm not really sure what the ruling was on Dylan Barrero's shot that got deflected into the net. I believe it was an offside. So Revs tie, you know, I think that, again, still off to a really good start this season. And I think I've really liked that the Revs have been playing a lot of their young guys um, and really giving a lot of guys opportunities. Um, you know, Bobby Wood has also, I think, looked pretty good in his, you know, games with the Revs. You know, I think there was some thought, okay, what is he really going to bring to this team? But I think that he's been really solid. Um, you know, Noah Bach has obviously got a lot of the, a lot of headlines, you know, with his game-winning goal uh, in one of the most recent games, but he's gotten... He's gotten some play as well. Um, Esmir Bayraktarevich has also gotten some play recently. Uh, Jack Panayutu has also been getting some moment, getting some time as well. So, you know, those are kind of the three very young guys that the Revs have been able to plug into the lineup. I think Dylan Barrero has looked really good. Gustavo Bo looks really good, really fit, you know, which is huge because I really think that there were a lot of a lot of points last season where he wasn't, you know, really fit and really you could tell. Um, so really pleased with his, you know, effort so far this season and you know being able to stay healthy, which is huge. Uh, has is the only rev the revs player with two goals this year. Um, so I think, you know, again games like that are going to happen, but the revs continue to get points out of games, which is huge. You know, they played six games. They've only had one game where they did not get a point, the 4 nothing loss to LAFC. But I think, you know, really good start for the team. Really pleased with that. You know, Petrovic has been good. The defense, I think, has been a lot better. I know that it was irritating to give up that tying goal late in the game on Saturday. But I think that this is a team that with Petrovic, with Kessler, with Dave Romney back there, that... You can feel confident that this team is going to be, you know, better defensively than they were last year. And I think, you know, offensively, the guys are, you know, building that continuity, which is really something that they missed a lot of last season. But I think you think of the attacking guys with Heal, with Bo, with Barrera, with Bobby Wood, you know, with Buck and some of those young guys, that they can kind of build a little bit of a, you know, chemistry so that... You know, it's something that they can continue to build on the entire season. And, you know, they can count on that when the games get, you know, really important, whether it's, you know, in the middle of the season, down the stretch, or even in the playoffs. So, you know, I think things like that can certainly pay off, you know, when you get to the, you know, more important games, if you will. Uh, so the Revs will uh, pick up... Uh, their home schedule, or pick up their schedule with another home game 
uh, Saturday against Montreal. 7.30 start time. Revs are at home for three of the next four. So hopefully continue uh, to build some points as they are in uh, third place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, tied for second with Atlanta FC. FC Cincinnati is in first place. And the Revs will take take on Montreal, who has uh, uh, started the season very poorly there in the bottom of the Eastern Conference with just three points. Revs, Revs with 13. So I think it's probably going to do it for the uh, local teams. I should note that uh, if you are a college hockey fan, the NCAA Frozen Four uh, will, uh, starts this week on Thursday. Boston University will play against Minnesota for the right to go to the championship, which is Saturday night. So if you're into college hockey, you can pay attention to the uh, Frozen Four. I think it's, I want to say it's Michigan and Penn State um, in the other semifinal. Try to find that very quickly. Oh, no, excuse me. Michigan and Quinnipiac. So first semifinal, Thursday at 5, BU against Minnesota. Um, and then the second semifinal, Michigan and Quinnipiac. And then the winners will play Saturday night as kind of a last, like, local thing, I guess. Um, so I think we're going to get into some league notes and standings. I think we're going to start with Major League Baseball. I will tell you that probably not going to look at the standings this time around with only three games being played. Um, a couple players being placed on the injured, the injured list. Uh, Robbie Ray from the Mariners. Um, Corey Dickerson from the Nationals. Um, and then Joey Bart from the Giants. Uh, Jake Cronenworth got a new extension with the Padres, a seven-year deal that will keep him in San Diego until the 2030 season. So I think we'll take a look at some of the games today in Major League Baseball. Pretty much a whole whole slew of teams. It's almost the entire league, honestly. Um, so obviously Red Sox and Pirates, Mets and Brewers at 210 today. Yankees and Phillies at 7.05, Braves and Cardinals at 7.45, Angels and Mariners at 9.40. So those are just a couple of games on the slate for today. So I think we're going to move on. We're going to go to the, um, move over to the NHL, check out the standings, check out some league notes. Uh, Jonathan Taves returned to the Blackhawks this past weekend after uh, being away from the team for a period. Uh, so he got back into the lineup. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl for the Oilers with a hat trick over the weekend, got to 50 goals. Um, and the Islanders, Matt Barzal, is nearing a return for the Islanders' playoff push. Um, and then obviously yesterday, Bruins becoming the fourth team in NHL history to hit 60 wins. So that was a tremendous accomplishment for that team. Uh, just been a special group to watch all season. So 
really hope that that continues, you know, later into the season and into the playoffs. So a couple games on tap tonight, uh, Vegas and Minnesota at 8 o'clock on the NHL Network, Nashville and Dallas at 8.30, and then Arizona and Seattle at 10. So just three games on the schedule. Things are heating up for the uh, playoff chase. In both conferences, Bruins obviously clinched that number one seed with 125 points. Uh, Toronto and Tampa Bay both clinched playoff spots, um, and they will play each other in the first round of the playoffs. Still a question of who has home ice with Toronto four points up in Tampa Bay with one game in hand, so it seems like Toronto will will have that inside track for the home ice. Carolina is in first in the Metro, followed by the Devils and the Rangers. Hurricanes and Devils separated by three points, and the Devils and the Rangers separated by three points, so it could be possibly some change in the Metro. Um, All three teams have clinched playoff spots, so you have the top six in the Eastern Conference uh, clinched. And then in the wild card spots, the Islanders in that first spot with 87 points, and then Pittsburgh in the second spot with 86. So if the playoffs did start today, Bruins would be playing the Penguins, and then the Islanders would be playing the Hurricanes. So Florida is just a point back of Pittsburgh, so things are getting pretty dicey for both of those teams with five games to go and separated by a single point. Buffalo is, I would say, on the outside looking in as they are five points back of Pittsburgh, but they do have two games in hand. Um, Ottawa is even with Pittsburgh in games played, but they are six points back, so it seems like they are a little too far back. In the Western Conference, things uh, continue to change every day. Uh, Minnesota in first with 97 points followed by Colorado and Dallas with 96 in the Pacific, Vegas, Los Angeles, and Edmonton. All three teams have clinched a playoff spot, but it's anyone's guess as to who finishes in what spot. Vegas and Edmonton, or no, Vegas, Los Angeles, and Edmonton separated by two points, so things could change about every day. In the first wild card spot, you have Seattle. And then Winnipeg in the second spot with Calgary two points back and Nashville five points back. Every other team in the West has been eliminated. So I'll be curious to see what happens over over this next uh, week plus before the end of the regular season. So we're going to move on to the NBA. The Lakers continue to win games. I guess it's uh, LeBron has said that the uh, the surge is fueled by title aspirations. So we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see how that works for them. Um, the Knicks got uh, or clinched a playoff spot with their win yesterday. Um, so we're going to take a look at some games tonight. Obviously. Games tonight. Actually, there are no NBA games tonight. Um, we'll take a look at the standings with most teams having four games to go. Uh, the Bucks obviously in first ahead of the Celtics by two games. So I think 
in all likelihood, the Celtics will be the two seed again as they were last year. Philadelphia in the three spot, and then Cleveland in the four spot, followed by the Knicks and the Nets. So those are likely to be the top six teams in the East and then the play-in teams. The Heat are currently in seventh, followed by the Hawks and the Raptors and the Bulls. So obviously, I think any of these teams could be potential opponents uh, for the Celtics in the first round. I think that, you know, given the Heat and the Celtics playoff battles, that's a team I think I would like to avoid. You know, I know the Heat have not been necessarily at their best this season as they were last year, but, you know, just with Eric Spolstra, the way that they can play defense, it's just probably wouldn't be the most ideal opponent, but I would say that perhaps playing the Heat would actually be good for the Celtics so that they don't ease into the playoffs. They're like, okay, this is going to be, you know, a battle against this team. So the Heat most likely will host that 7-8 play-in game. As the 7 and 8 seed play, the winner gets the 7 seed loser, then plays the winner of the 9-10 game. The loser of the 9-10 game goes home, and then the winner plays the loser of the 7-8. So the Celtics, very simply, if they get the second seed, will be playing the winner of the 7-8 game. So at the moment, the Hawks are the 8 seed. The Raptors are the 9 seed. The Hawks have the tiebreaker. So the Heat and the Hawks, if the season ended today, would play that 7-8 game. Celtics would play the winner. So personally, I think I'm hoping that Atlanta, Toronto, or Chicago uh, gets the 7 seed because I'd be much more comfortable playing all three of those teams than I would the Heat. But we will see what happens. believe that Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, and Chicago are the four play-in teams. No other team can catch them um, at the moment. Actually, yeah, no, all Eastern Conference teams have been eliminated except for Washington, except for Orlando, because they have a tiebreaker. They must have a tiebreaker over one of the teams left. So that's why they are still in it, I guess. In the Western Conference, Denver in first, followed by Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, the Clippers, and Golden State, and then the play-in teams, the Lakers, Pelicans, Timberwolves, and Thunder. The 7-10, to Dallas is on the outside looking in on the playoffs, a game back of that final play-in spot, and the Jazz are a game and a half back. So uh, Dallas, I believe, is three games left. So, you know, it's, it's dangerously close that they can miss the playoffs. Um, so... Things get really crazy in the West. Um, you know, they, they're changing pretty much daily, you know, with the teams being separated, the five through ten teams being separated by just three games. So could be a lot of change between now and the end of the regular season, which would come Sunday. The play-in tournament, I believe, starts Tuesday next week. So I think I'm going to just take a quick look at some NFL notes. Uh, Darius Slay had said that he uh, almost became um, a Raven after uh, being released by the Eagles, but he did obviously rejoin the Eagles. Um, and then, yeah, draft is coming up, so pay attention to any of the rumors going on. Uh, the uh, 
Panthers are on the clock at the moment. They have the number one pick via trade with the Bears. So we'll obviously talk more about the draft as we get closer. We'll talk more about that as, uh, or we'll talk more about that on Guest Friday later this week. So I think before we let you guys go, I'm going to get to some uh, March Madness talk. Uh, we're going to start with the ladies with the uh, LSU Lady Tigers beating um, Iowa in the championship yesterday, 102 to 85. Probably <laughs> going to be much more high scoring than the men's game tonight, but uh, definitely an entertaining game. I have to say that you know, the last couple of years, you know, watching the women's March Madness, it's been really, really fun to watch. You know, I think that. And players showing more and more personality is great for the game. You know, it makes people really, you know, invested in the game. So, you know, I think that a lot of people were definitely, you know, talking about the uh, moment moment that happened late in the game. If you were watching, you know, I guess earlier in the tournament, Caitlin Clark had done the, uh, you know, you can't see me, John Cena gesture uh, at a Louisville player. And so... Uh, Angel Reese from LSU did that back to her last night uh, toward the end of the game. And uh, certainly some people got, you know, way too upset over it. Um, at the end of the day, I think we want all our athletes to be showing more personality. You know, we as sports fans love to see stuff like that. You know, yeah, whatever. You can say that it's, I mean, I would argue you shouldn't say that it's classless because it's like, it's athletes competing, you know, I just, I don't really have time for people that are saying that it was, you know, classless or whatever. It's like, look, your athletes, you know, playing at this, you know, it's, it's the heat of competition and it's just, that's just is what it is. So I'm not really going to spend a lot of time, but, you know, LSU winning their first, uh, winning their first. Uh, ever championship 102.85. The final score, final four was in Dallas. So now we're going to take a look at the men's tournament. Obviously, final four, the, the, the final four, the semifinals uh, took place this past weekend. A very exciting FAU, San Diego State, going right down to the final buzzer. San Diego State, Lamont Butler with the game winning shot at the buzzer. So San Diego State advanced to the championship where they will play UConn, who dismantled Miami 72-59. to So championship is tonight. Uh, really looking forward to this game. You know, I think uh, two teams that have been really enjoyable to watch. You know, San Diego State, I think defensively, they've been great. But offensively, they showed up, you know, down 14 points in the second half um, in the semifinals. So good for them to come back. So they will play UConn, and UConn's been, you know, really the the team to beat throughout this tournament. So um, I was, you know, conversing with uh, Matt Blue this past weekend. We were talking about the Final Four and uh, give you guys uh, some of the notes that he had sent me um, that he wanted me to talk about on the podcast. Um, so Matt's first uh, first thought was the Big East. Um, and Conference USA have made themselves look very good during the March Madness tournaments. You know, and I would definitely agree. I think that 
the Big East put a lot of people on noticing, not just with UConn, but, you know, Creighton made a pretty deep run as well. Um, and I think, yeah, Conference USA certainly made themselves look good. I, honestly, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm going to have to look at their uh, conference and look at the teams that are in the conference because I'm not as well-versed on the Conference USA, so I'll just take a look at some of the teams that were in it. Okay, must have gone past it. Now, here we go. Now, Florida Atlantic. Okay, Florida Atlantic, obviously, in the Conference USA, clearly, you know, making it all the way to the Final Four. Um, so they clearly made their conference look really good with that run. So, yeah, I definitely agree with Matt there. Um, Matt also said that, you know, the mid-major programs um, starting to show how they're getting better and better every year, um, able, able to hang with the, you know, higher-ranked teams. And I would definitely agree. You know, I think that's been kind of one of the great things to see over the last couple of years, that these mid-major mid -major programs you know, the non-Power 5 conferences, you know, have really, really improved themselves so much to the point that they're, you know, beating teams that, you know, 10 years ago, it would be, you know, unheard of for one of these teams to go on a deep run. And they've had so many teams over the last couple of years that have beaten the, you know, bigger, the bigger teams, I guess you know, the kind of higher profile teams, you know, that there have been mid-major teams that have been able to do that. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with that as well. Matt also said um, that no top three seeds um, for the first time in the, I think for the first time in the final four, uh, which, you know, as Matt says, that seeding doesn't actually necessarily matter that much, that it's like, it's about who comes to play in each of these games, and I would definitely agree. You know, I think that's been one of the great things about this tournament this year, that just because you're a top seed, it really doesn't mean anything. And I think, you know, again, goes back to that idea that the teams are a lot more evenly matched in the tournament than they've ever been. You know, it would have been crazy to say that a 16 seed would be to one, you know, 10 years ago, and we've seen it twice in the last five years. So, you know, I think it's really speaks to the parody of college basketball. Uh, Matt also had to say that UConn is a very, very deep team. A lot of talent show that they're hard to beat and very well coached, and I definitely agree. You know, I think looking at the different guys that they have that are such, you know, matchup issues, whether they can shoot, you know, whether they have size, you know, Sonogo has really kind of been the, the guy for UConn, but they have a lot of other guys you know, that can shoot, that can play good defense. Um, you can tell, you know, that they are coached really hard and coached really well uh, by Dan Hurley. But I think the San Diego State team is uh, not one to be taken lightly. And they're a team that I think got to the Final Four because of their defense. But they were able to, you know, win that semifinal because of their offense and their shot making. So I think you're going to see a very close game down the stretch. But you know, I wouldn't bet against UConn, you know, I think it's a UConn year, so I think the Huskies will take it tonight, but I think it will be a really good game, so 
looking forward to that. It's a 9.20 start time, so, you know, God God bless you if you want to stay up and watch the entire game. So, you know, should be a good game tonight. So I think that's going to do it for me this week. Um, you know, as always, the social pages you can check out, you know, please listen uh, or please, you know, give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts that uh, really, really helps me. You know, I think if you ever have any, yeah, reviews or any thoughts about the podcast, don't hesitate to let me know. Uh, you can follow on Spotify and yeah, you can always, you know, message the podcast on Twitter and Facebook if you have any questions or thoughts about anything. So I think that's going to do it. We'll be back with you folks on Friday.